Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome to Aging Fearlessly. Dr. Ray Hodgson is an Associate Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology with the University of New South Wales. He has established a not-for-profit aid organisation called Australians for Women's Health, working in Nepal, treating women with complications related to pregnancy, and most recently he has become an author, and it's a very inspiring book that he has written, Heartbreak in the Himalayas. And he's a very mighty fine man, and I'm very proud to call him a friend. So welcome, Ray. Oh, hello, Karen. What a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. Do you want me to do it again? Yeah. <laughs> I love hearing that. So, Ray, you've been on our program before, and firstly, I want to congratulate you on your book, Heartbreak in the Himalayas. It's a really wonderful read. My 91-year-old mum, who you met recently, she just absolutely loved it. And I know if she could still travel, she'd be on a plane yeah. to Nepal to have a look around because she loves history. And what you spoke about culturally about the country and about the work that you're doing, she said, I've got this visual now of what Nepal is like and the work that Ray's doing. And my niece Zoe just raved about the book. She's a nurse and she said, I'm going up there to help Ray out one day. We are so fortunate in Australia to have access to a health system and excellent health services and dedicated doctors like yourself. The conditions you work in in remote parts of Nepal are absolutely appalling and you're playing a much-needed role to improve the conditions, so well done. It's always touching to hear the people get moved by the story, the, the, the heartbreak in the Himalayas. And my favourite sort of book myself is one where you're not just entertained, but you're, you're educated as well, and, and that's what we try to do with the book. It is a hell of a story, and there's lots of adventures that we have condensed into this book, but it's to raise awareness, um, as cliche as that sounds, to raise awareness about what you described, the, the appalling state of women's health in Nepal. It's terrible and it's improving, but we're just got, we've got such a long way to go. And this book, hopefully, is going to um, um, help us on that journey. Well, I felt like I was there with you while I was reading it. You know, well done you. And you can write. You're not just a doctor, you can write. <laughs> Very slowly. It took three years to, to write that, uh, the, the book. Uh, lots of trials and attempts and screwing up pages and starting again, but um, I, was, I was really happy with it in the end, but thank you. Well, so you should be. Mm. Ray, we'll talk more about your project in Nepal towards the end of the interview, but Ray, we have a huge issue in Australia today. There's an energy crisis. An energy crisis, An yes. energy crisis. Yes. People are paying so much for their electricity, yep. but I think I've figured out how to solve this. 
Good. Good on you. How yeah, do you, I've how spent you gonna, a lot of time. How are you going to solve this? Okay. Well, I know so many women, especially the over 50s, who are experiencing power surges. Ah, good. So you can tap into that power. Yeah, so, you know, we could probably heat up a whole city <laughs> and <laughs> harness that power somehow would be really great, that's you know? Just, that's a great idea. I, I had, no one's come to me with that sort of proposal before, but it's, um, it's got potential, Karen. So but here we really need to discuss some of the issues. What are the issues about power surges that you can help with us? What, are we, what am I actually referring to, Ray? Yeah, you're, you're talking about hot flushes and one, probably the most troublesome symptom of the menopausal time, the, the time in a woman's life where her hormones start to wane and uh, she experiences a number of symptoms. And this, this one you've, you've called power surge is, is uh, what we would call a hot flush which can be really quite disturbing. It messes up concentration. So it's part of what is, so causes night sweats as well. Women don't sleep as well, so they're more tired during the day. It's one of a number of symptoms that the majority of women will experience when they're going through this change. When I was younger, I used to hear it being called the change of life. Yeah. And so many women sweep this time under the carpet. They don't want to talk about it. It's very, very baffling not only for themselves, their partners, their husbands, their family. And during the woman's life, they have to navigate so many changes from the times that they're young teenagers and then again significant changes when they're having children and then this change of life again. I would like to talk about the perimenopausal, the menopause and what a lot of people call the postmenopause. Can you shed some light on all of that? Yeah. So the the menopause. By when, when we say menopause, we mean uh, period stopping. If you get to you know, over the age of forty five and your periods have stopped for twelve months, that's the menopause. That's what we call the menopause. No period for twelve months once you've reached the age of forty five. That's a moment in time. I went. I had the menopause on the twelfth of July, two thousand and sixteen, because that was my last period. But the perimenopause is, are those years surrounding that last period. And that usually happens between the ages of 45 and 55. These symptoms and the, the hot flushes you've, you've alluded to start to happen in the majority of women, um, usually well before the periods finally stop and the menopause happens. And that perimenopausal time is when women will experience hot flushes, yes, night sweats, yes, but other things as well like mood changes and aches and pains in the joints, breast tenderness, dryness in the vagina, discomfort with intercourse, really, really common. How common? 60% of, of women in that um, age group will experience those symptoms for between four and eight years. That, that's massive. 60% of women will experience those symptoms I've just mentioned between four and eight years. It's a lot of years. It's a lot of years. And, and, you know, 20% experience them longer than that. 20% experience them for more than 10 years. They're in their 60s. 20% of women are still experiencing some or all all of those symptoms in their 60s. The other 20% are the lucky ones. They don't experience any of those menopausal symptoms at all. They just, they're the ones you hear about occasionally. No, I went through the change, my period stopped, but I, I don't know what you're talking about. I had none of these hot flushes or anything else. They're the lucky 20%. But for the other 80%, they're experiencing for between four and eight years or, in some, for more than 10 years. Yeah, and I've had friends that have talked about being hot in the hot flushes Mm. and that they're dripping under their arms. They're in the middle of a meeting and they've got marks like they've been out running a a marathon Mm. under their armpits where the the sweat is just – it's 
clear to everyone that someone, something's going on and they've found it really embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. And I think as a medical profession, for many years, we um, can be accused of just um, playing that down and just saying, well, just, it's just, it's not a severe symptom. You're going to die from it. Just, just put up with it. That's, suck that it up was, and, yeah, suck it up and, and, and move on. That in the last couple of decades, that's, um, thankfully, changed and we're recognizing that these symptoms these things like hot flushes can be really quite significant to a woman's life you chose some songs for me today and the first song is the long road by eddie vida i did yeah this is a haunting song this is a somebody you like haunting so (laughs) (laughs) reflects my personality (laughs) but this uh, is haunting it's somebody on death row and and uh, it's um the, particularly listening to this song in the context of somebody who's about to die on death row, it's, um, it, moves, it moves me. I think it wouldn't, I would imagine it would move a number of people. This is Long Road by Eddie Vida. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. I have Dr. Ray Hodgson with me in the studio today and we're talking about women's health, particularly menopause, HRT, all things to do with women over 50. So, Ray, MHT, it's now the new name for? Hormone replacement therapy. Very good. You're right up with that, aren't you, Karen? The hormone replacement therapy, and that's still, that term still is used more commonly, I guess. But the new term, the term that's becoming more accepted, is menopausal hormone therapy, MHT. So Sounds I'm impressed, very... I'm impressed that you knew that. Thank you. <laughs> I do try to keep up. I do do some research. <laughs> very good. And I talk to you quite often as well, which is really great for me because I have learnt so much. In talking about treatments for menopause... Give us a bit of insight into MHT. So hormone therapy uh, around the menopause and, per- and after the menopause. The biggest symptom, as we said before, the most troubling symptom for women is the hot flushes and night sweats. And there is the, it can be a complex area, but it, it doesn't have to be. Simply, the best way to stop these hot flushes, night sweats, is with oestrogen. There's, there's absolutely no doubt. There's lots of alternatives, natural and uh, medication alternatives, but oestrogen works best, and that's clear with every, essentially every study that's been performed. The, the problem that we have is that, uh, as with any treatment, there are potential side effects, and women are concerned when the idea of having taking estrogen, menopause, menopausal hormone therapy, HRT, women are concerned that if, if they try to stop their help flushes or other symptoms, that they may be putting themselves at a high risk of complications. Yeah. That's what they're concerned about. And that's why a lot of women don't take hormone therapy or, or take it for a short time and stop it and endure these symptoms, which at, at times are, are really horrible. They don't have to do that. A message, if I can get one message across to you today about hormone therapy around the menopause, is that generally speaking, those side effects, those risks are greatly exaggerated. For the large majority of women, it is perfectly safe receiving menopausal hormone therapy, hormone replacement therapy. Yes, there are risks, but there are benefits 
and in the majority of women, the large majority of women, those benefits greatly outweigh the risks. Because when we, you talk about night sweats, those night sweats, you can wake up the next day completely exhausted because you've woken up so many times through the night just dripping wet and hot. And it's a horrible feeling. It's like being in the middle of summer in a heat wave, hmm. but you can experience in the middle of winter when it's, you know, 10 degrees you can go through those symptoms and feel like you're in 40 degrees. Yeah, and you wake up exhausted, as you say. You're already, many women are already struggling with the emotional effects, the mood changes from, from the hormones falling away, um, and add to that a poor night's sleep, and uh, those symptoms are exaggerated. And it's a time in a woman's life, that perimenopausal time, the postmenopausal time, when things are changing anyway, quite apart from the hormones. Her appearance is you know, suffering, if you like. So, um, that affects many women's psychology more than others. Often they've lost a parent, the children have moved out of home, the empty nest syndrome, all those sorts of things are happening. The hormones are dwindling or stopping. The, the sleep is uh, very poor. There's insomnia or, or, or poor night's sleep. It's almost like the perfect storm for women to suffer emotionally. You know, women at this time often say they feel invisible. Sometimes it's sort of just themselves feeling that way, but quite often they seem to feel they're overlooked in society, feel invisible in the workplace sometimes because there's younger people coming up through the ranks and they feel they're being overlooked. That's another thing, isn't it, to add to that emotional stress that they're going through. Yeah, and bottom line, women in Australia are undertreated for these menopausal symptoms. Now, that's not to suggest for one second that every single woman should be receiving um, hormone therapy around the menopause, around the time of the menopause and after the menopause. It's not suggesting that for, for one second, but the majority of women, if they're suffering these symptoms, will benefit from, from receiving some form of hormone therapy. Let's clarify something. So the perceived risk of using hormone re replacement hmm. therapy, is it overstated? It is overstated. There's, there's no doubt. I'm not a maverick here. The, you know, the experts in menopausal health will say the same thing. Our own uh, Australian Menopause Society will say the same thing. It is, it is their view as well that uh, women are undertreated and, and these risks are overstated. Do you want me to talk about the, the, the concerns, the risks? Yeah, the risks. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so there's three. The first risk is of heart disease because there are some suggestions from some research that if a woman receives hormone replacement therapy, she's more likely to suffer heart disease. That's not true. If you start hormone therapy in your 50s, uh, you know, within a year or so of going through the menopause or before that, you do not have an increased risk of heart disease. If you're not suffering with significant heart disease prior to hormone therapy, you will not have an increased risk. That's the first one out of the way. The second risk is of blood clots. Blood oh. clots on the leg and blood clots to the lung. And here's a statistic which will probably make you think, well, why would you ever have hormone therapy? Your risk of having a blood clot doubles when you receive hormone therapy. Your risk of experiencing a blood clot in the leg or the lung doubles. And you think, well, that's enough reason never to go on it. But you're doubling a very small number. Between the ages of 50 and 60, doubling a very small number still makes a very small number. So we do not consider that a major risk. Now, there are certain people who are at risk in the first place of, of developing clots, and they need that conversation with their with doctor their as to whether doctor. they're suited or not. And if that's the case, the better way to take hormone therapy instead of orally is, is through the skin, through a cream or through a patch through the skin. And then those risks are, are minimal. And the third risk? The third one is the big one. It's the most emotive one, and that's the breast cancer risk. And the women I see and the women I treat and women who choose not to receive hormone therapy or choose to stop it far earlier than would suit them are those who are concerned about breast cancer. So the question is, does 
hormone therapy in a menopausal woman, perimenopausal woman, increase your risk of breast cancer? And the simple answer to that is in the first five years of receiving hormone therapy, in the first five years, you do not have an increased risk of breast cancer. Not many people choose to have hormone therapy beyond five years, but even then, if a woman does choose to stay on her hormone therapy beyond five years, the risk of breast cancer is increased then. How much? One in a thousand extra women would experience breast cancer, about one in a thousand. Now, that's maybe that's too high a risk in the mind of women to continue hormone therapy, but you need to put that into context as well. If you drink one standard drink a day, a glass of wine each day, that increases your risk of breast cancer just as much. If you put on weight, if you put on 20 kilograms of weight uh, around the time of the menopause, that increases your risk of breast cancer yeah. by as much. So it's the perceived risks, I believe, and many experts believe, is far greater than it really exists for breast cancer. It's really great to talk to you because personally, I'm 63 and I am still using a hormone replacement therapy. And I've been using it probably since I was around 52. So I'd be 11 years now. Yeah, well, I would not be critical of that at all. I, mean, I don't know your medical background. And I'm not, not going to... Yeah, I'm not going to tell you too much. <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> but I don't want to give the impression that we're just um, condoning more than 10 years use of, of hormone therapy uh, with every woman. But there are many, many women in whom it's perfectly reasonable to continue hormone therapy beyond 10 years and you may well be one of those you need that discussion with your local doctor well my my gp did mention a few years ago that perhaps i should consider stopping Mm. and we had a conversation and i said really i'm not ready to stop but we made a joint decision about the risks yeah the problem is one in 10 one in 11 women in australia are going to develop breast cancer during their lifetime if you happen to be on hormonal therapy when that happens the doctor who has prescribed that is suddenly feeling quite vulnerable for being sued. And, you know, we all know that that's likely that the woman probably would have developed breast cancer regardless. But um, in this litigious age, the doctor prescribing that uh, suddenly feels um, in the spotlight. Well, that's some great information about about hormone replacement or, Ray, the real term these days is? <laughs> Menopausal hormone therapy. Empty is another song that you've chosen today by Ray Lamontagne. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Oh, gee, my pronunciations of some names, I really struggle. I just call him Ray. Yeah, well, <laughs> Dr. Ray, can you talk about Empty by Ray? Empty. This is, this is another sad song. This is unrequited love, the end of a relationship that he, the singer, Ray, wishes would continue. I love the words of this song. I love the fact that it's got a, an upbeat melody i guess but but at the same time the cello in this song it displays the the singer's pain and sorrow it's it's a lovely combination of upbeat and downbeat welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3 your community radio station you are listening to aging fearlessly with karen please go to facebook and like the page aging fearlessly My guest today in the studio is Dr. Ray Hodgson, and we're talking about women's health, we're talking about menopause, and many other things that women face after they turn 50 or around those years. So Ray, we were just talking about menopause, we were talking about HRT or... Menopausal hormone therapy, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, you know, you you can rattle it off much faster than I can. What about natural therapies? 
for women suffering through the menopause symptoms. But so many people these days talk natural. Yep. Give us some insight. Yeah. And it's despite the reassurances we give women who are considering um, some sort of treatment for their menopausal symptoms, and especially the hot flushes, despite our assurances, there are um, still many women who prefer natural treatments. So you know, there's a lot of them on the market, and some women swear by them. Some women will say that as soon as I had my royal beeswax or my, my red clover extract or whatever, my symptoms went away. That's great, and good luck to them. But the bottom line about um, the research that has been performed on a number of the natural therapies is that it, they are no better than placebo. They are no better than taking a, you know, a sugar tablet um, when, when you're blinded to not know whether you're taking the active natural therapy or, or not. So if you're taking these therapies and they seem to be working, continue them, uh, that's fine. But the bottom line is they're no better than placebo. There's an exception to that. If we're talking about hot flushes, then uh, all these sorts of natural therapies that have been tested are no better. If we're talking about mood changes, mm. then the one natural therapy that does uh, has been shown to be better than placebo uh, is St John's Wort. I've heard a lot about St yeah. John's Wort. Yeah. Terrible name and you know, the, <laughs> mar- is, the marketing it? department for that. Well, it is spelled <laughs> W-O-R-T, not yeah. W-A-R-T. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, but yeah, so it, with mild levels of um, depression, certainly not nothing more than mild and moderate, that can make a difference. And that, that's a natural therapy. But you need to be cautious about that if you're taking other antidepressant medications, for instance. And the, that interacts with a lot of, lot of other medications. Yeah, I have heard that. Yeah. And, if you, yeah. and if you're going to a place where there is good advice mm. about taking natural therapies, especially like St. John's Wood, you should also discuss that with your doctor because there are interactions. That's right. And I mean, just a, a word uh, generally about natural therapy. So, yeah, the concept of oh, it's natural, therefore it's got to be safer, therefore it's got to be better for you, that doesn't hold up. Arsenic is a natural substance. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Heroin is a natural substance, but, you know, it doesn't mean they're safe. And, and so the problem with so many natural therapies um, is that they haven't been tested before they're out there on the market. They don't have to go through the same rigid trials that, that um, prescription drugs do. So when you have this mindset of, of you want to do everything naturally, I get that. But it's not as simple as this substance I'm about to take is natural, therefore it's safe, and therefore it's better for me than conventional prescription medication. Our TGA makes sure that there's a lot of scrutiny around the medications that come into Australia. The prescription so, medications, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, natural therapies are, are, are classed as food stuff. So with that classification, they do not have to undergo the same rigid tests and uh, prior to their release on the market. I use some natural therapies myself and I condone the use of some for my patients. But my message here is be cautious about them and don't just assume that because they're natural, they're therefore safe. That's great advice, Ray. Some of the other symptoms that women suffer like dry vagina and painful sex through menopause yeah so if it's localized to the vaginal area and the genital area and you could you could add urinary frequency urinary urgency in there as well um, if they're localized to that part of the body then um, if you're trying to decide on on some sort of estrogen therapy in that situation you, you could choose local estrogen therapy and by that we mean a vaginal cream or a vaginal tablet the absorption into the bloodstream of those is very small. So we are confident 
that that uh, the use of those long term won't have any of those risks that we'd mentioned before about blood clots and about breast cancer. We, as confident as we can be, they appear to be quite safe long term, and they will just will predominantly only affect the dryness in the vagina and the uh, urinary urgency and, and improve those symptoms there, the discomfort with intercourse and so forth. So that's an option if that area of your body is the only part that's suffering with these menopausal symptoms. And there are other things on the market that they can use as well. Uh, for lubrication, absolutely. And, and uh, that, that, those, those lubricants for um, painful intercourse because of dryness in the vagina, they'll usually help there as well. They won't help if you've got urinary symptoms in addition to that, but they, uh, they certainly have a place to... Ray, yes. all of these things need to be discussed with your doctor. Absolutely. That's your central point of information is your local doctor and you need to develop a trust with him or her and if you don't you don't feel that trust is developing with your doctor having the knowledge and the confidence with these sorts of things move on we're lucky in Australia that we can we can choose whoever we want to see as a doctor yeah we are and look I have had the same doctor for such a long time and I do trust her Mm. and I can go in and have a very frank conversation about anything that's happening in my life whether it's emotional or whether it's a medical issue such as menopause. You know, she's great. Ray, I have recently been trekking in Peru. You knew that, didn't you? I did because you, you passed my book on. You, you, you stopped a sale of one of my books by giving it to somebody. I did. So I had your book over there because I was finishing it on the aeroplane. And while we were out there, we were in the middle of nowhere trekking and it was absolutely wonderful. And sometimes the trails were quite tricky. And I slipped over one day. I didn't hurt myself, but I did have an accident. Uh, An accident as in with the bladder? I did. Yeah. And um, I have that accident regularly jumping on a trampoline with the kids or, you know. <laughs> okay. And that's so, that symptom is so common for women. And you said you're 63, but any time, any time in their life, but particularly uh, over the age of 50, really, really common. The loss of urine when you laugh or sneeze or jump on your trampoline or slip over on the trail in Peru, really, really common. You don't have to put up with that. It can be embarrassing. Absolutely. And especially I, if you're wearing light coloured pants yeah, or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I get that. As a woman, you don't have to put up with these menopausal symptoms, nor do you have to put up with incontinence problems. So what sort of incontinence is that? Because I know there's a couple. Yeah, there's two main ones. And what you've described is stress incontinence. The, the stress, we don't mean emotional stress, we mean oh, the, the physical stress. Oh, I thought stress. it was emotional. <laughs> it causes emotional stress. But, but no, the physical stress of jumping or laughing or slipping over, in your case, and sneezing and so forth, swinging, swinging your golf club or your forehand at tennis, that extra pressure in your tummy can force some urine out. A lot of women have this, and a lot of women won't mention it to their doctor or their health professional. Um, yet for, the, for the majority, of that's the, that's the first sort of incontinence. The other one is, um, the other sort of incontinence is when you get the urge to go to the toilet, you, you're trying to suppress that urge and you're maybe getting up towards the toilet door and then away comes the urine before you can stop it. You haven't sneezed or coughed or laughed or tripped, but that you're, you're just you're squashing your legs perhaps together and, and you just can't stop that urine coming. Urge incontinence. They're the main two types. And the, it's important to distinguish those two because the, the way we manage them is quite different. So with stress incontinence, how do we manage that? So the, for, the, for the large 
majority of women suffering with stress incontinence. It's through improving the muscles in your pelvic floor. What's called Kegel exercises uh, that um, the majority of people would understand, squeezing your your pelvic floor muscles together as if you were passing urine and you had to stop the flow of urine. That that those exercises done in the right way and done regularly enough will stop overcome that problem of stress incontinence in the majority of women. That's all you need to do for most. And for urge incontinence? Urge incontinence, it's it's partly that as well. People get into bad habits. Men and women get into bad habits of going to the toilet before the bladder's filled up, if you like. Yeah. Um, And they'll often, you can understand that if they're trying to avoid having an accident, but the bladder can get into bad habits. And if it doesn't regularly fill uh, to larger volumes, it will get lazy, if you like, and start spasming at very low amounts of urine in the in the bladder. Uh, maybe give you an example, an analogy. I, I swim a lot, as you do as well, and I get some problems with my shoulder. I thought you were going to say with your bladder. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter so much in the, in the, in the in water. The, no, and, and so I go to the physiotherapist and, and she says, oh, you need to stretch your muscles around the, your shoulder. Here's some exercise. Stretch those muscles. And you stretch the muscles and eventually that particular problem settles. If you stretch a muscle long enough, that the muscle will relax. I think that's why one of the reasons yoga is such a, such a relaxing thing. So if your bladder is spasming, which is what's happening with a lot of people with, uh, with urge incontinence, the, how do you fix it? Stretch the bladder, but you can't, you can't stretch it out physically like you might a shoulder. How do you stretch it? You, you allow it to fill up with larger and larger amounts of urine. So one of the successful techniques of managing this urge incontinence, where you just don't make it in time, is to just find that willpower to hold on that extra five or ten minutes each day. Do that for a few weeks. Just, just resist that urge. Maybe have an accident every now and then. Have a, wear a pad at home, but uh, endure that accident now and then. But if you allow the bladder to stretch up more and more, that's like stretching your shoulder your, your bladder muscle will eventually relax and it's as simple as that that's what we call bladder training what we all kind of did when we were toddlers that bladder training needs to be reintroduced that will fix urge incontinence in the majority of cases if I can say one more thing I've talked about the majority there are times with stress incontinence and there are times with urge incontinence where those simple techniques are not enough and there are additional things that your doctor can provide. And the stress incontinence, sometimes a simple operation will fix stress incontinence. A simple day surgery operation will overcome stress incontinence. For urge incontinence, that urge you just don't make it in time and your bladder training hasn't worked and your pelvic floor exercises haven't worked, there are medications that exist for that as well. So, oh, really? Yeah, so in, a, in, a, in, the, in the minority of women who, who, um, in whom those conservative simple techniques don't work for both those forms of incontinence, there are other procedures or medications which can be offered. It's so good to know all of this because... Mm. From just talking to you, you're just providing so much great information that will give people the confidence, I hope, to actually address some of their issues. I would normally go to another song now, but there's another topic I would like to cover. Is that okay? That's fine, yeah. We're on a roll, aren't we? We are on a roll, and it's really important because I want to talk about going to your GP later and and check-ups, but prolapse. Prolapse, yes. It's the thing that you are doing a lot of, and that's what you're working on with these patients or with in Nepal. In but Nepal. I think that prolapse here would need we need to address that. Yeah, prolapse. So you're talking about genital prolapse, or what we call medically pelvic organ prolapse, when organs within the pelvis fall into the vagina or sometimes out of the vagina. So we're talking about the bladder or the bowel or the uterus. Those three things: bladder, bowel, uterus. 
or in any combination, sometimes all three will will fall into the vagina, and in more severe cases, fall out of the vaginal entrance and sit down between the thighs. It sounds absolutely terrible. It must be a horrific situation for some women to face. Yeah, and it's you know it's 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 uh, it's it's common. Uh, it, thankfully, for the majority of women in Australia, it's not the severe degree where it's falling out of the vagina, but but it's enough to cause symptoms, and it's enough to cause this dragging discomfort in the vagina or or problems um, with the passage of urine. The urine trickles out instead of coming quickly or problems emptying the bowel or, or problems with intercourse. That's the, it, it, all three organs, the, the prolapse of any of those three organs can lead to um, those sorts of symptoms. And it's another area you, you talk about incontinence, women not mentioning that to their doctor and, and you know, sometimes being a bit embarrassed to talk about it with their health professional. Prolapse is the same. Women put up with that and, 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 and they shouldn't. Yeah, there are just as there are things we can do with, with menopausal symptoms and with, with incontinence, there are things we can do with prolapse as well. So all this is very positive. There's so mm. many great things that women can um, work with their doctor to actually alleviate the problem. So how do they fix yeah. prolapse? I, I can't help saying, Karen, that... Yeah, 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 all those things we can we can we can manage. You, you mentioned before that you know we're so lucky in Australia with our health system. We, of course, our health system needs to be improved. But 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 put in the context of developing world health, health and, and medical services, we are so lucky here. We are, and and it's it it always makes me sort of shake my head that we have all these treatments and facilities available in our country to treat things like menopause and incontinence and prolapse. Um, in developing countries like Nepal, for the majority of women, they are just not available. Most women will not see a doctor or a health professional at all and endure those problems which become really severe. Um, it's awful that they suffer that. Here in Australia, where we've got those facilities available, still women will not, <laughs> will not use them and, and it's, it's such a waste yeah, but in Nepal they queue up to see you because they they know that you're only there for such a short period of time, and there's so few women that you actually have a ha- chance to treat in your little two week visits. Oh, we do, and and yeah, you, you know, Karen, that we a big focus of what we're doing in Nepal now is is not just treating the women. We're we're teaching the local doctors and nurses. And yeah, and so that's. That, you know, so important. Well, you know, when we come back here after our Nepal trips, and you know, we do two or three a year, and we get back to Australia, and people say to us, um, "Oh, welcome back, good on you. Um, you're back from Nepal. How many, how many women did you treat? How many operations did you do?" And you know, my response to that is wrong question. Yeah, yeah, wrong question. We, we the right question is how many operations, how many women are being seen by their local doctors now yeah. as, as a result of what we've taught. Over there, that's that's the right question, and that's really your dream. Too. It, yeah, and when, while I'm sitting here right now, that I know that people are being treated over there um, by local doctors, whom our, our our own doctors here in Australia have taught. So that that's uh, that's far more sustainable, and and the the flow and effect from that is 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 massive. And some of those people we've taught are now teaching other local doctors in Nepal as well. So yeah, it's exponential. It is. Yeah. Wait, we're going to sneak in one more song. Hmm. La Traviata, the the overture you chose. Oh, I love this overture. I, you can see this is an eclectic mix of songs, can't you? Karen? Yeah. But, but yeah, this is um, this is, <laughs> this is the theme developing, which which is a bit. I'm of surprised a you didn't throw in La, um, Leonard Cohen, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> it could have. We had time. 
yeah, this is um, this is someone pretending to be happy at a, I think at a ball, and 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 she's I think she's dying of tuberculosis, and and she's 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 real, realizing her fate, but but uh, putting on this act of um, of being happy. So this again is happy and sad at the same time. I think it's it's genius the way this is done. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Dr Ray Hodgson is here with me in the studio today and we're talking about women's health. Uh, Over 50s, menopause, incontinence, we've covered so many topics today. And Ray, I really want to talk about checkups and, and regular checkups with your GP or your gynaecologist, your obstetrician. What should women be doing? Um, yeah, regular, regular, che- regular checkups for their general health, not not just their gynaecological health, but you know their blood pressure checks and uh, as an example of other general areas that should be checked. So you know, at least every couple of years, women should be going along more frequently than that if they're if they're at higher risk. Um, that used to be easier uh, in the sense that pap smears were, were recommended for most women every two years and that would be you know, an excuse to go to the doctor. And when the, when the woman's there, he or she will check their blood pressure and their, their breast check and, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> as you know, and as I would imagine most of your listeners know, with a new cervical screening system that, that's come in, that came in uh, nearly two years ago now, um, I'm guilty. I haven't. Karen, shame on you. <laughs> but uh, it's now. If you have a normal smear test with the new smear system, uh, it's it's safe to um, not have your next smear test for five years instead of two years. And that's on the, on, initially you think, oh, that's great. That's I don't have to endure that. Well, it's often uncomfortable you know, speculum examination for a smear uh, every two years, and now it's every five. That's great, and it is great. But. Um, it's got some negatives, and one of the negatives is that that uh, some women will no longer have that um, that two yearly check for other parts of their body. Yeah. So what I always find interesting, Ray, is that as as females, we're we're happy to go every six weeks or so for a cut and colour for our hair. Mm. We'll go for a facial. We'll go for a massage. But some of us, some people, I'm re- usually pretty good. Uh, just don't line up the appointments with the doctor for our regular checkups. No, I think I think we need to arrange some hair colouring services at your local GP. That would that would fix it. Oh, that would fix it, wouldn't it? But we're really good at renovating our exteriors. It's we're true. not so good at the maintenance on the interiors. No, we're not. And and, and you know, really, men's health is even worse. We we as men. Oh are yeah, worse, you're shockers. Yeah, and and women generally have been better. It could still be better still, but. But my concern is with the. You know, I'm not critical of the new um, cervical screening system, uh, I, but but I'm, I'm I'm fearful that that's going to lead to um, women avoiding checkups when they otherwise would have had them. Ray, another thing that I've heard a lot about, and we're going to have to we're going to have to wind it up, unfortunately. Mm. But the risk of getting a sexually transmitted disease after 60 has seemed to increase massively massively you know when i was training it was that was something that teenagers and women in the 20s got as a vast majority of of, of people men and women uh, and they still are at risk but 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 you're right there, there is um for various reasons 
an explosion in in the prevalence of in, and incidence of sexually transmitted infections in women and men uh, over the age of sixty. Uh, I guess they're being more sexually active. I guess they're they're, they're having more partners. And uh, so, I'm going to say we can't yeah. blame the dating apps, can we? <laughs> well, we probably can. We probably can. And but but yeah, I think in, in nurse some nursing homes, uh, sexual activity. Really? It's, it's rough with some oh. of them. Yeah, it, 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 it's, I'm not suggesting... They've been luckier every, than me. Every... <laughs> That's, maybe you should spend some more time. <laughs> but, 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 um, yeah, and, and I'm not suggesting either that, that uh, this is happening in every nursing home, but it's, it, yeah, you just wouldn't think of those sorts of things happening in the past. And, and uh, I see a number of women, not just in the early 60s, but in the 80s sometimes, with sexually transmitted infections. It's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. It, well, well, good on them. Yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah. not good on them for getting... No. Good on them for still being active. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think... Um, but raising awareness of this, it is, you still have to be safe. That's the thing. And, and in a younger woman... It's drummed into them that you still need to be safe, and there's that fear of getting pregnant, and so not as not as frequently as we would like, but at least with a proportion of the younger women, they're using condoms. But take away that chance of getting pregnant, it's it's uh, it's one less reason to use barrier protection when you're having sex, and and uh, that's I'm sure one of the reasons why there appears to be this explosion in sexually transmitted infections in this in this postmenopausal group. And again, it's a, another good reason. Yes, be vigilant about being tested because these things are passed from one partner to another very easily. They are, and 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 for some of them, and, and particularly things like gonorrhea and chlamydia. Um, it's not just having the inconvenience and discomfort of a, you know, vaginal discharge. It's if that gets up inside the pelvis into the fallopian tubes, that's that's a, to, uh, the pain and the recurrent pain from that sort of uh, problem is 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 terrible. That's a, so we're talking about pelvic inflammatory disease. The the, uh, the long term implications of that are awful. Yeah, it's something that we don't really want to have to deal with. And mm. there are ways, if you're safe while you're out there, if you're having sexual relations, then just be safe. Yeah, yeah. And I think condoms have got that that uh, connotation of a young person. And, and you know, to, to meet up with your 75-year-old sweetheart and <laughs> tell him he's got to use a condom, it just doesn't sound <laughs> right. But, it's, but it is right, and, and it should happen. And, you know, until at least you've both been tested for, screened for sexually transmitted infections. So, Ray, we really have to wind up. Can you believe how fast that time goes? It's like a blink of an eye, an hour's just gone by. We must have been enjoying ourselves, Karen. (laughs) Definitely, always. Ray, if people want to help you out with your Australian Four, the number four, women's health, and make a donation or find out more, how do they do that? I'll buy a book. You know that every cent of profit from this book goes to build to, to help build this hospital that we're building for mothers and babies in Nepal every every center that is a not-for-profit book please buy a book and even if, if like your friend in Peru if you just borrow it just just read this book because it, it it tells you about the problems and, and and not just the physical problems and the medical problems but it tells you about the the cultural problems as well and the challenges that we have Please buy this book, Heartbreak in the Himalayas. It'll shortly be available on a, uh, as an e-book as well in two oh, weeks' time. And I will, when I podcast and when I promote this interview on mm. Facebook, I'll put a picture. It's a beautiful cover of Poppy, one of your characters. Oh, yeah. And the, new, the, the e-book's got a different 
cover. Oh, you've uh, changed the cover? Yeah, at the, at, the, um, at the advice of my publisher. So, so yes, but, but um, uh, you can put either, either or both covers up there. But, but somehow, read this story, please. Um, and, um, and make a donation, buy the book as well. That's fantastic. But if, if you do nothing else, please just read the book. And I know you'd really love to find a corporate sponsor for Nepal and the mm. hospital. So if anyone knows anyone out there that... Um, may be able to help Dr. Ray uh, with his charity, um, mm. his not-for-profit. Uh, that would be really fantastic. We, so. we, we have we, we need five hundred thousand dollars. We we've been raising money for funds and uh, for various functions, and, and you've been help, very helpful there, Karen. We have now raised three hundred and seventy thousand over that four four and a half years. We we need one hundred and thirty thousand more, and we're slowly sort of crawling our way to that magic number of five hundred thousand. So every single cent. And you have there. a block of land now, we do. and the hospitals. It's really started, and you've had some good donations. You just need that that few more to, yeah, yeah. to get you over the line exactly. to really get this practice, this hospital underway, and the training facility within the hospital, which is really equally as important. It is. The whole top floor of this hospital is devoted to teaching, and that's where we're going to continue but, but ramp up the teaching for doctors and nurses and midwives and probably physiotherapists as well. So that's uh, that's that's our, that's been our dream for quite a while, and we're we're, uh, we're we're getting really close now. Well, thank you for joining us again today. I know you got off a plane last night, came here to the northern beaches, and now you're flying off to lecture at a conference, and you're just going to get in the door in time. So <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a wild day today, yeah. It is. So thanks, Ray. Karen, as always, it's an absolute pleasure. Cheers, everyone. Until next time, this is Karen Sander on Aging Fearlessly. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside There's a sparkle in your eyes It's not all nine to five It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Time to waste. Gotta go get the most out of time. Don't be afraid. Like this treasure that you've got to find, baby. Don't be shy. Let's go and take that ride. Taste the sweet and the spice. Everything. Let your heart be alive, baby, just let your heart come alive, honey, let your heart be alive.